of peace. There will be no increase of his government of the peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with, with justice and righteousness from then and forevermore. The seal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. all spiritual we wouldn't want to confuse you and make you think it's actual literal but Miranda's coming to the rescue if anyone else would like to help you can come on up form a line to the right of the church that's all right oh, oh man. hey one more yeah don't let it go that's all right it's all good it's all good Again, it's all spiritual stuff here. <laughs> Welcome everyone again. We are here. We're we're here to to do more than just celebrate. We're here to hear from the Lord. And the way that we do that is from his word being preached. And I'm so grateful to be able to do that for you today. And I'm going to be bringing you God's word from Hebrews chapter 12 verses 12 to 17. <clears throat> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump in and read it first and then uh, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. As we, as we get into this, and then we are going to talk uh, about a really difficult subject, which has been popping up throughout Hebrews um, p- periodically. And so Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 17, says, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak, and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by many will be defiled. I'm sorry, and by it many will be defiled. Verse 16, that there will be no immoral or godless person like Esau. You heard about him a couple times. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, then he sought it with tears. And so we're at a really peculiar part in the book of Hebrews now, because we've went through what I like to call, you know, Hebrews is like a love sandwich. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. And management and sales management used to be a buzz sort of phrase. You know, you got to give somebody the love sandwich, which would be, you know, the two breads uh, on the end are all very fresh and moist and delicious, but the meat inside sometimes is a little bit hard to swallow. And that means, you know, you, you have a salesperson maybe that's not doing so well. You know, hey, John, I'd love to, you know, I, I need to talk with you. First of all, you've been doing a great job. You're a great person. I love you, all this and that. But, and then there's the meat. You're fired. Not quite that bad. But, you know, and then, of course, afterwards, building that person back up again. And that's what the pastor of this church who wrote this letter has been doing throughout the whole book. He's been dealing with the people hearing this. He's been encouraging them, telling them all the great things that we have in Christ. He's even been assuring them of their salvation, talking about how people could sometimes 
fall away. They taste of the truth and then they go away from the truth. And then, also, you know, you're about to hang yourself when you hear that. And then all of a sudden he goes, but for you, you know, and for us who are being saved, it's so different, you know. So we have to really pay attention here. When he gets to this part in Hebrews chapter 12, he sort of now has given us all the meat. He's given us all the bad stuff. He's given us a lot of good stuff. He's talked all about Jesus and the superiority of Christ throughout the whole Old Covenant and all the bells and whistles of the Old Covenant, all the prophets and all the important people of the Old Covenant. And now he has gotten, <clears throat> he, he, then he really gave us the exhortation of faith, right? And we don't have to even go back to that. We, we spent a lot of time in chapter 11. And it was just like, I'm just going to hammer it home, this writer said. That everything I just told them, they're all going to be confused. And they don't remember, they're hearing it for the first time. They didn't have systematic theologies laid out. And so what they need is faith. They need to believe even though they don't see. They need to understand what I'm talking about is so extremely important, but yet if it falls on ears that can't hear, it's going to go right over their head and they're going to miss the mark. And so he went through faith and it was so encouraging. We spent 16 weeks or however many weeks in that. And then he gets to chapter 12. And he summarizes again. He says, look, fix your eyes on Jesus, okay? I want to give you some more encouragement. He's the author and perfecter of your faith, all right? He endured the cross. He endured the shame. And you, you haven't endured the cross. You haven't spilled your blood for the things that you're going through and the things that you're suffering. So what you want to do is you want to keep your eyes on Christ and what he has done and realize that the suffering that's going on right now is not God's fault? Is that what we heard? No, we didn't hear that last week, right? That exciting sermon on suffering? It's like I'm surprised the church didn't double this week because of that all-powerful exhortation of come to Christ and suffer. Well, you know what it is? It's not that God wants you to suffer, obviously, right? But what we learned last week is that God uses suffering in our life not just because we make mistakes, but when he certainly does when we sin, he will, he will cause suffering. But we learned last week it's not what? It's not punishment, is it? He, it's, he doesn't punish us. He can't punish us. You understand that, right? Because he already punished Jesus for sins that we've committed and that we will commit. Jesus has already been punished for that. So when you do something wrong, God doesn't go, oh, he messed up, she messed up. Get, I'm going to show them. And then he punishes you and causes something bad to happen. Flat tire, loss of job, you know, sickness, all this stuff. Boom, that's not what God does. Instead, what we learned is that God treats us as children. Like a loving father or even mother would look at their darling little son or daughter and say, I want to make this person into the best human being I could absolutely make this person into. I want to make this person into the image of my son, Jesus Christ. And the way that's going to happen is it's going to happen through discipline, through suffering, through trials, through tribulation, and it's going to happen in the midst of all that. They're going to get more holy. They're going to have joy, and they're going to look upon me, God says, him as a loving father. 
but because our mindset has been so shaked up, shook up, right, like in a shaker cup, we have all these different things flying into our mind about who God is. That's why if you weren't here when we started out, the call to worship was that if God be for us, who can be against us? There's nothing that can separate you. Nothing. Not life, death, not difficulties, not angels, not demons, not Satan. No one can separate you from the love that is found in Christ Jesus. It's impossible for that to happen. But what we do is we mix up all these extra ingredients. And it happens to be that we put in there, well, you know, is God really for me? I better work my way. I better start to try to appease this wrathful God. And we get off on the wrong, we're on the wrong road for the wrong reasons. And so what we're going to, what this writer does today is after he gives this exhortation of discipline and of suffering and that God is a loving parent, and that even though what you're going through right now, like in verse 10, it doesn't seem best as, as you're getting disciplined, right? It doesn't feel good when you're getting spanked by God. But we do it so he can, we can share in his holiness, and afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, that's the, some of the best times if you've ever disciplined your children, and it works, it's usually peaceful fruit after that. They come to you and they'll say, hey, I'm really sorry, Dad, I shouldn't have did that. You know, it's when we mess up and when we don't discipline our children, we don't act as faithful parents, the Bible says, then we hate our children. Whereas in our minds, again, our milkshake is like, no, I, I don't want to hate, I, I, I love my kids, so I don't want to make their life uncomfortable at all. And so we have to, we, not, we have to model Christ in this, but as, as hearers of this letter... They're now listening and saying, okay, loving parents, suffering, I get it. Now what? And that's where our passage starts today. Therefore, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And then he goes down, he starts to give. You're going to start to see now throughout chapter 12 and 13, these little pithy sayings, these little tidbits of, 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 of teaching on, on how to be a Christian, how to live the Christian life, pursue peace with all men, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Oh, this, this is, these are the passages in Hebrews that I hate preaching through. Okay, and they've been here before. Fall short of the grace of God. What are you talking about, Pat? Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a second. Put the brakes on. That no root of bitterness come springing up, causing trouble, and that, they, and that many be defiled, and that there be no immoral, godless person like Esau. Wait a second. You're, you're telling me that I have to be careful that I'm not Esau? Who was Esau? Esau was the one that God said in Scripture. I don't think he's ever said this about anybody but Esau. He said, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated that's pretty strong language. And both Jacob and Esau, while they were in the womb, were fighting. And before they were even in the womb, in Romans eight, it said, in Romans nine, I'm sorry, it says that by God's choice, the younger would be greater than the older one. Jacob would be the one where the seed of Christ would come through. So wait a second, Pat, you're telling me here that I could be an Esau? 
Because it also says, Pat, that even afterwards, Esau, he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected. He found no place for repentance, even though he sought it with tears. So are you trying to tell me that there was a person out there that was knocking on God's door going, I want to be saved. I want to be different. And God says, nope, you're not coming in. There's no place for your repentance. Well, I don't know. We're going to talk about that in a second. Throughout all the book we heard, Hebrews chapter 2, pay close attention to what you've heard so that you don't drift away. Warning number one. Then in Hebrews 3, don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Wow, okay. My Reformed theology here is starting to fade away. Hebrews 4, chapter, one, uh, four, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. You should fear lest any one of you come short of entering into the rest of Christ. The rest, R-E-S-T. And, and then in 6, many have tasted of the good word and the powers of the age to come, but then they fall away and now it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. And then after 6, we had a breather. Oh, chapter 7, some Melchizedek, right? Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter... Wait a minute, chapter 10. Oh no, here he goes again. For if we go on sinning willfully after we receive the knowledge of the, of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of, for sins, but only a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. And now we come here to chapter 12, where these people are disciplined by the Lord. They're suffering. They've, they've lost, some of them have lost their homes. Some of them have gotten persecuted. Some, most of them have been excommunicated. And now we hear this warning again about make sure you don't end up falling short of the grace of God. And so there's a lot of questions I know that must be floating through your mind right now. What are you trying to say, Pat? What are you trying to tell me that I can lose my salvation? Don't say that. You see, there's parts when, we, like for instance, when we, when we preach through the Gospel of John in chapter 6, in verse 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father drags him. Literal translation in the Greek is drag. It draws him. And we get this vision of God sort of wooing us, you know, come, come, come. But he's got to drag us like he would have to drag somebody into court or into jail. And Jesus says, all those who are literally dragged to me, every single one of them, I won't turn away. And every single one of them, I will raise on the last day. I didn't mean to rhyme that. Meaning everyone who's drawn or dragged is risen. And to me, there's many other verses that talk about the security that we have in Christ. And so this is why context is so important in the scriptures. When you're reading a book, you must ask yourself, you can't just elevate these scriptures out and go, Whoa, what about this one? If I willfully reject now, I can't have repentance again. And all of these are written, of course, to who? The Hebrew people. And so we have to lay that foundation before we can ask the question of, can we lose 
our salvation. Now, these Hebrew people were going into the, into the temple still, and they were sacrificing the blood of goats and bulls and believing in that atonement to cover their sin. The Bible says that in the New Testament, after Jesus' death, that sacrifice in the temple every day or every, every year, whatever you want to say, however you want to look at that sacrificial system, became an absolute abomination to God. And that's why God wiped out the temple, and not only the temple, but all of Jerusalem, just like Jesus said he would do in A.D. 70. Because that system is over. It's gone. But people that want to trust in that, they're not just simply saying, no, you know, I'm really comfortable at this church over here, and they teach a little bit differently, but I got the gospel, I got the meat. No, they're saying is equivalent to you and I going, I'm leaving the church of Christ, God forbid, and going to the church of Satan. I'm rejecting Jesus Christ completely. It's called apostasy. Okay, so that's what that's talking about. We can infer and induce from, we can take from Scripture a couple of things that we just know that we know. God is sovereign. There's nobody that, is, that can rule over God. And we also know that our salvation is by grace alone. You cannot save yourself. You can't work your way. There is nothing in you that caused God to save you at all. So therefore, there's nothing that you could do, as Jesus had said, for it to be plucked out of the hand of Jesus. Because when he saves, he saves completely. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to die. He would have, he would have did something else rather than send his own son to die on a cross if a human being could do anything to add to the work of Christ. And so we must get this laid out first. Because, the, again, there's still going to be a question mark at the end of this service, okay? So don't think that I have some secret that I'm going to give you. I don't. I'm going to give you the Word of God, and then God's going to do His work after that. But I do want to tell you that there is, in fact, grace is how we get saved. And there is nothing you can do to initiate it. No man can see the kingdom of God unless he's born from within a little bit. No, born from above. The Holy Spirit has to come down, make that person alive for them to be able to see and understand God's rule, the gospel. The gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. So there's nothing in our life as it relates to our relationship with God that is dependent upon you to, to end up rescued and resurrected. Nothing. I can't find it in Scripture. However, I do find very concerned pastors in Scripture. And I can't get it out of my mind. I remember, you know, I, I've been a Christian now by name probably since 1996, seven, something like that. I feel I got converted in 2000. That was just, that's just my time clock. But I, I remember there are people that I look at now that literally are the people that this pastor's talking about. People that have tasted, that have been a part of the assembly. You know, ironically, or not so ironically, right after he says, don't forsake the gathering together of believers is when he gives this warning. 
because that was the indication that they have left and they're not from us anymore. So they stopped gathering and then they went back to that old system. But I remember people back then when I first became saved who helped me, who got me to see things in my life where I was like, this person is amazing. He is anointed by God. He is well-respected. He's an elder in one of the biggest churches in New Jersey. And I look at that person now, and he's like these Hebrews that are falling away. Rejected God. Completely rejected God. And that's not just one. I've seen it happen two, three times. Where that person, right? He loves God, and now he's gone. Hates God. Was he ever saved? I'll let you know at the end. I won't say anything now. But I'll tell you right now, there are people that are in that condition. There are people that could be sitting here right now that could be in that condition unless they take heed to the warning that's given, I believe, especially in this passage today. Because you're not going to, chances are you're not going to wake up one day and go, yeah, I'm done with this Christianity stuff, it's over. Satan is way too smart for you, if you think that. Satan will take you and he will, again, if you take two perfectly straight lines and you line them up next to each other, they're perfectly straight, they're perfectly parallel. You could take those two lines and miles and millions of miles down the road, they will still be perfectly straight in the same exact distance. But if you just take a little millimeter where even to the naked eye, you'd nowhere be able to see that these lines are a little bit far spread out. You won't end up seeing that. I could look at you now and say, and you could look at me and say, wow, parallel lines. But if that's off, if it's off just a little bit, you'll see down the end. So I, I'll never say somebody's saved or not saved. I don't know. I could say they're not living their life like they're saved. I could say that about people, right? And you could say that about me or who, whoever it is. You know, oh, yeah, that person's definitely living their life wrong. But I can't say, well, that person's definitely not saved because God could bring them back. But there are people that are here in our church, not even maybe not in this body, but in the church wholesale right now, alive, that have tasted, that have been part of things, that have preached wonderful, wonderful sermons, that have God has used to do miracles, heal people, supernatural stuff, that on that day they're going to say, Lord, I did all that supernatural stuff. And he's going to say, I never knew you. And does that mean that that person, because we have this zapped, saved sort of vision of being saved, like, Person is zapped. Oh, they tasted. Oh, I tasted of it. I'm zapped now. I'm saved. That's not how it works, is it? God works in us according to his timetable. And we are not only saved, but we're being saved. We're being sanctified. And so in that process, we can get, we are involved in that. But the warning from this pastor is saying, if you see yourself drifting away, if you see yourself being weak in a certain area, then you need to start to make some changes. Don't just sit there looking, you know, 20, you know, 2,000 years in the future where our, where our church today is just, we're, we're, we're blinded by what happened at the Reformation. And I say that in a, in a negative sense. I'm not saying, it, it, the Reformation was great, 
But in a lot of parts of the Reformation, we've overcorrected and we flipped the truck. Okay, especially when it comes to salvation by, or justification by faith. I believe in all the reformational doctrines of justification by faith, but we've overemphasized it so much that we forgot about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in our life. For what? To do a job. To bring us to salvation. To, to complete the work that Jesus started at the cross. And he, we're made born again and then the Holy Spirit finishes. It's a real thing. And so it's when you look at this, there's this this concerned pastor is not going, yeah, you know, these people turned away, they tasted, but this really doesn't apply to you because once saved, always saved. He wouldn't he's not saying that. He's begging and pleading neurotically. Every chapter. He's begging them as if he knows, because he does know. He knows that in just a few years, as Jesus said. His judgment is going to come down in fiery wrath upon Jerusalem and the whole Old Testament system. And Jesus told those people, listen, flee to the mountains when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. It's going to happen within this generation. And so you'll see, especially these later books that are written in the 60s, you see an urgency, especially when it comes to Judaizing, which was being part Old Testament Jewish guy and part New Testament Christian which the New Testament says, no, you can't do that. It's by grace, through faith. Yeah, it's through faith. It's by grace, through faith. That's it. Otherwise, it couldn't be grace. So it has to be by faith. But are you a possessor of that faith? And so this is one of those sermons where I believe Apostle Paul, I'll say it here, you know, he just lays it out so simple. It's like, you know, to preach this is very easy. Because it's, it's very simple. He, he breaks it down. For chapter or Verse 12, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is out of joint may not be pulled out. I'm sorry, the limb that is damaged may not be pulled out of joint, but be healed. And that to me, as soon as I read that, I'm saying, get my walk right. Get my walk right. And if you look at it, he goes, he, he says, strengthen the hands that are weak. Right? Again, we're in the context of this discipline. That's almost a picture of like, all right, I got to go praise God, but I can't even lift up my hands, right? Or step, I'm being stepped on, right? It's like the boxer who got out of boxing wasn't because he couldn't fight, it was because of his hands. The ref kept stepping on him. And that's what the, the picture is. My hands are so busted up. My hands are weak. And he's telling them, get with it. This is parental discipline for you. Get, with, get on the program. Strengthen your hands that are weak and your knees that are feeble. Now the word weak here, the, the Greek word for it, doesn't just mean weak that it doesn't have strength. It means that. But it also means it's weak because of neglect. So what do you say about that? Strengthen the hands that are weak. Strengthen the hands that you've been neglecting. You haven't been worshiping like you should. Your hands may be, the, the, the picture here a lot of times in the scripture when we see about strengthening your hands and lifting your hands, it's in praise to God because this was, especially to the Hebrews, this is what they did ritualistically three times a day is they would pray and they would lift their hands. 
And so it means strengthening those hands and the knees that are feeble. The feeble means uh, it's suffering from the relaxing of the nerves. It's like you're shaking with too much weight because your nerves are not firing off what the brain is telling the muscles in there that aren't developed to activate, and they're not. And so these people, again, are being warned. This isn't just a, an encouragement. Come on, pick yourself up. Strengthen those hands. No, strengthen the hands you haven't been using. Strengthen the knees that have not been exercised, and they're starting to atrophy. The, the muscle's starting to go away. And make a straight, level path for your feet. Because that's what it means here, too. It means a straight path. So the picture is that you're, you're walking crooked, but you're walking on an unlevel path. And if anyone here works at Stop and Shop, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you go to Stop and Shop on Route 537, in order where I park, in order to get there, I have to, they have all these little islands, right? And they put those big rocks there. And of course, I don't walk around the path. I walk over the rocks. And I almost break my ankle every time, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to balance myself. And as I get older, I'm fooling myself even more. So you're walking on these rocks. But the picture is, is look, stop walking on these rocks with weak hands, weak knees, and a damaged limb. A damaged limb. And so in other words, it's like me walking on those rocks with a, with a sprained ankle. So we're starting to see the picture of this church here, of these people. Walking over those rocks is going to do more than just damage. It's going to pull the whole limb out of joint. Twisted it off to the side. And so he's saying to them, you have an injury. You need to fix this injury. Properly deal with that injury. But a lot of times what we do with injuries is what? We try to medicate our injuries. And that's what happens when you, when, you, when you get into this spot where your hands are weak, your knees are feeble, and you, you're not walking right with the Lord. What ends up going on is you start to try to compensate. Either with, in the analogy of the walking, your muscles will start to compensate. Okay, if a lot of people, if they have a bad, bad knee, their back starts to hurt because they're balancing now off of that knee. And then they'll medicate. And, I, and that's the natural thing for us to do. And it doesn't just mean with drugs and alcohol, although that's not what you want to do. But when you medicate with God for a, from, from a damaged knee and a wobbly feet and all that stuff, it's usually with outwardness, outward religiosity. That's at least the t what I tend to do. As soon as I feel like I'm off, and I don't want to, I, I ignore what it is that the, the reason I'm off, I'll start to say, well, I'm just going to do more stuff. I'm going to just pray more. I'm going to just, you know, go out and evangelize even more. I'm going to, you know, really study this week for a sermon, not just wing it like I've been doing for four years. <laughs> I'm going to really look at the text, you know, I'm joking. No, but we, we tend to do that. And, and he's telling them not to do that. You know, he's, he's telling them that that could also make them veer off as well. So the, the first point here is to get your walk right by identifying that weakness that you have and start to deal with it by getting on level paths. Clear the paths, deal with that wound, deal with that sin, deal with that doubt, deal with that unbelief, deal with it, and God will heal it. 
as opposed to you ignoring it, and now that, that damaged component gets worse. Okay? It's like playing football, you have a sprained ankle, just take some painkillers and wrap it and get out there and run. You're going to end up really hurting yourself. Now, the second part of this is pretty simple as well. He says, pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification, which I like the King James and the New King James says holiness there. And the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is another one. I'm not going to see the Lord if I'm not holy. And and immediately I'm not seeing the Lord. (laughs) Because I'm looking at my life, all the things that make me unholy. And he's saying, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Peace and holiness is something like we look at and is one of those things, again, that is counterfeited by Satan. Peace is counterfeited is one of the big counterfeits. Satan's got a whole counterfeit machinery going on peace, doesn't he? Or the world shows you what peace is. Peace is just having a lot of money. Trust me. Yeah, peace is being able to just indulge yourself in all the pleasure that you want to have. And that's really going to bring you peace. Peace is, is, is again, medicating. No, that's not what peace is. But we do the same thing with holiness. Holiness is wearing this sort of clothes, this sort of way, walking like this, talking like this, knowing this and saying that and really showing everybody out there that I'm a really good Christian. That's counterfeit. Both peace, authentic peace, and authentic holiness come from who? God. Come from Christ alone. You cannot find peace and holiness outside of the cross. He's saying have peace with all men, and again, be holy. Again, where do you get this holiness from? It comes from the Lord. But uh, somebody asked me, well, I want to become more holy, then what do I do? Well, uh, what, do, what do I say? Read more, pray more, go to church, and fellowship. Got it. Don't believe me if I say that, okay? Because all you're going to do is do all those things and still be frustrated unless you do this one thing. You see, that's true holiness comes from being in the presence of God. When you are in the presence of the Almighty, when you're in the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you become holy from the inside out. And then your works become manifest, right? That peaceable fruit of righteousness starts to come out naturally. So you don't have to fake it. You don't have to try to fake it. Don't try to think of all the things you could do to be more holy on the outside. Think of what can I do to make God my deliberate companion. Make him present with me. Not by outward means. I call this God consciousness. Having a God consciousness, everything I'm doing, I'm trying to be conscious of God with me, showing me things. I'm in a conversation. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be doing all this. And again, not to labor and put all these to-dos on me, but to be simply in the presence of God. And so this holiness comes from God's presence. This peace comes from God's presence. In in Psalm 34, 14, it says, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
And so you want to seek these things, not outwardly, first inwardly. And so the third part here is so we get our mind right, okay? Our mind is focused on God. Our mind is in the presence of God. We're going to be, have peace with all men. And this even includes driving on Route 9 and all the other places around here. You know, you have to go out to be peaceful and peaceable with everyone. And so you have to act and I have to act as God acts with us. And that is have a mentality of grace. And so if you don't have a mentality of grace dealing with other people and and dealing in situations, an unoffendable mentality of grace, you're going to have a difficult time garnering the peace that you're, you're looking for from the Lord. And so this is a mind thing. So it's get your walk right, get your mind right. And then finally, this Esau situation, which is very troubling, get your heart right, right? Because it says, see that no one comes short of the grace of God. How do we come short of the grace of God? Well, they were going the wrong way. They were going to the law. And so when you go after the law, especially the Old Testament system, there's always going to be a lot more law left that you have to accomplish when you get to the end. But when you walk in Christ and you've decided to trust in him for your salvation, you now will have a lot more grace at the end of your walk because where sin abounds, grace abounds more. But you have to be walking in grace. So you have to make sure that you don't fall short of that grace of God. And where again is the grace of God? This isn't a a, a treasure map hunt here. It's at the cross. It's at the cross of Christ. That's where the grace of God is. So if you fall short of the grace of God, you're falling short of seeing Christ and what he did for you at the cross. And it says right here that no root of bitterness spring up. And I see this too. This is... You know, the word bitterness here is defined as anger or disappointment with how you're being treated by other people. People are not treating you the way you deserve. So you get bitter. And that violates the grace of God. Because the person that you're bitter at for whatever they did to you, and they're a Christian, let's say, their sins are forgiven at the cross. And if they're not a Christian their sins are going to be taken care of in a way that you don't even want to think about. So justice is served. Have peace. Don't fall short of that grace of God and that unforgiveness. Don't allow it. This is the way Satan makes his inroad, is unforgiveness. Uh, We used to go through this thing called Bondage Breaker. It's a great book by Neil Anderson. And what he does is he goes through your whole entire past. He makes you write down every single situation that you've had in your life where you've come, you know, and encountered evil and you've done bad things. And he has a whole section on forgiveness. And I've done this with people where I've taken, I did it through my, with myself first. And then I can't tell you is when you write down every single person that's ever harmed you, everyone. And you just go through it and you forgive them by the blood of Christ and you just give it over to God. It does something to you spiritually. You become free. But unfortunately, what we do is we hang on to all this bitterness and it defiles many. You get a few bitter people in this church, this church is done. 
That's why as, as a unity of believers, we must maintain that unoffendable, gracious fellowship and deal with issues, but we got to leave the bitterness at the table. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, forgiving each other. Ephesians 4, 31, 32. And so here we come to Esau. Was Esau saved? I don't know. I'll let you know when we get there. I tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that Esau was hated by God in the context of a passage that talks about God's selection of people not being based upon their own works or who they are. So maybe Esau was just used as an example and God gave him grace and mercy. I don't know. Or maybe Esau is a literal, is an, is, is the, an apostate and, it, and is, is a reprobate. I don't know. But I do know this, that we have to be careful of making the mistake of Esau. He sold his birthright to Jacob. Remember that? He was, he was starving when he came in, Genesis 25, and Jacob and Esau. It's the first interaction we ever read about them after they were born. And Jacob, sneaky as he was, caught him in a weak point, and, and Esau, where his mind was off of God, I believe was even bitter, because it says in the chapter before that Rebekah, it says Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so maybe he was bitter towards Jacob, bitter towards his mother. He's, he gives up his birthright, which is like giving up your complete identity. He was, it says he was an immoral person as well. In the script, in the, in the, it means fornicator. He had two Hittite, uh, Hittite wives, which says that they brought bitterness of spirit to Isaac and Rebekah. He wasn't supposed to marry from the Canaanites, but he did. I believe, because he was bitter. And so as, as believers, we have to look at this and realize that if we are going at, down the wrong direction in our life right now, that you are a frog in a boiling pot of water. A frog loves that water in the beginning. You know why? Because it's cold and comfy. And then it begins to get a little warm and he gets so, so comfortable. And that frog being comfortable in that pot that's increasingly getting hotter, he doesn't feel it. You know why? Because he goes to sleep. He falls asleep. And he wakes up dead. He does. And so we have to take heed of this. We have to look at our life and say, am I walking right? Is my mind right? And know that in Christ you have God's grace to walk that path. But if you leave that grace and you go over here, you may prove yourself to have been somebody that did taste and walked away. Like the guy I was telling you about. Never would in a million years would I have thought he would have walked away. But he did. And it wasn't overnight. It was little by little by little. So we have to take this inventory. And again, I, I just want to say as a little caveat here is that it says that he desired... He, he, it says here, let me just um, read it from you. It says that, for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, because the blessing was the one that uh, Isaac had given Jacob, that Jacob stole from Esau, Esau was rejected because he said, he said, Father, don't you have a blessing left for me? He goes, nope, sorry, man, I blessed Jacob, and he surely will indeed be blessed. 
And he pretty much cursed, he gave him a blessing, but it was like a curse. And then it says, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. He, the it is not the repentance. The it is the blessing. He sought the blessing. The problem is he didn't seek repentance. That was the problem. He was seeking after the blessing because I missed out on this great blessing and I'm crying and I want it, Lord. Well, Esau, just turn from your sin and you would probably get it. No, I'm bitter. I deserve it. You see the attitude that we have to be careful of? But you can come to God right now and repent. See, that's the great thing about walking with Christ. The Christian life is a daily repentance. Just get that in your mind. It is a daily walk of, Lord, I'm walking in repentance with you. As soon as you go, I'm good, I'm okay, hear Pastor Pat go, listen, get your path straight. Don't drift. Okay, get your mind right, get your heart right, stay on that path. So it was the repentance that he didn't want, and it's the repentance that can save us right now. If you're here and you have never come to Christ before, and I don't even, I know most of you here, probably everybody in this room. Notice I'm not going to judge you. But you know in your heart of hearts where you're at with the Lord. If you're not where you know you should be, then you need to get there according to the urgency that this pastor and this pastor is telling you right here. Don't take it for granted. Stop walking with a wounded ankle on lumpy rocks. Stop it. Stop the bitterness. Pursue the presence of God in your life. Make that that common denominator. And don't worry about, am I saved, am I not saved? Stay at the feet of Christ and know that you're saved. Stay at the feet of Christ and turn from your sins on a daily basis. Use the grace of God the way it was meant for that new creature, right? You're a new creature. We were talking about it Wednesday. You go out on the road and you drive on this highway and you speed. I know all of you speed, right? You're going 65 in a 60 or you're going 75 in a 65 and, you know, you slow down because you want to do the right thing, especially when you pull out of church. I'm always looking behind me. Who's looking at me? Who just followed me and is going to hear, see me speeding here, right? But the analogy goes like this. When you're on the road and you're focused on the law, you know, you're, am I on that speed limit? I got to make sure I drive right. But in Christ, you're in grace. So when you're in walking in grace, it's as if God has not given you the free ability now to speed wherever you want. You got grace, buddy. Here it is. Take it. Go speed down that highway. No law applies to you. No, that's not what he's doing. See, what God does is he makes you a non-speeder. He makes you a guy or a gal that doesn't want to speed anymore. You're a new creature. There's where grace happens. There's where the Christian and grace meet. And, and their grace is for you abundantly forever. You can never outsin it because you're going to still speed. But you're not going to like it. And you're not doing it just because you can do it, right? You're trying to be that way because that's who you are now. So be that new creature. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the grace that is in Christ. Lord, let us each heed this warning, God. It seems so quick, Lord, that the sermon went quick, but for me anyway. Lord, can you just please impress these things on our hearts, that we would even go back and read over this passage in this whole entire book 
in one sitting, Lord, and that we would see the urgency that you're calling to us to stay focused, to walk right, to have our mind right and our heart right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.